Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage here with my co-host, Coach Dean Manchie, Kimberly Fox Valley Throws. Coach, we got a little Q&A today. How are we doing? You ready to, ready to answer some questions, make people better? Absolutely. I love these Q&A and I appreciate all those coaches that are um, coming up with these questions because they're all valid and great questions. And I know we have people that are at all different types of schools and in different settings. So let's fire away, Brian. Yeah, I mean, the 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 questions we've been getting have been really good. We've got a few more to add here in the next episode, but I um, really want to hit this one. Um, this one actually came from Coach Mangan. He was he was talking to us about this. First question is, you guys talk about multi-sport athletes a lot. You know, what are your views on multi-sport coaches? And, you know, Dean, as, as I start to look through the different cities and, and whatnot through the state of Wisconsin, as we start to expand sports advantage um, across our state to provide value to to our schools and our athletes, um, you know, you're seeing as we start to go to different cities and stuff like that, you're seeing some coaches wear multiple hats. And first and foremost, you know, we commend you for that. Um, because at the end of the day, I think it, 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 it goes back to the, if you're going to talk the talk, you should walk the walk. And so, um, you know, we're constantly talking to athletes about being in multiple sports, getting multiple stimulus. And from a coach's standpoint, um, first and foremost, you know, you're going to have your sport that, that you're really familiar with and, and things like that. But, you know, to be able to go and provide opportunities for kids, uh, even if you're an, an assistant in one and a head in another, I think is, is awesome. Um, and to provide more eyes for the kids to have, you know, someone there to be available to answer questions and stuff like that. So multi-sport coaches is something that is definitely a dying breed right now, you know, because I think even in the coaching realm, in the high school setting, and even the middle school setting, coaches are getting more specialized. But what are your thoughts, Dean, on, on that? And I mean, there's definitely some crossover. I mean, you guys see it, especially at Kimberly, right? I think the big the big thing is the, the football track connection and things like that. But what are your thoughts on multi-sport coaches? Well, first of all, Brian, I just want to just share a little bit about my experience. You know, when I started coaching when I was younger, you know, and I just always enjoyed coaching and it didn't matter what. You're young still, dog. You're still young. You're still Still young. young. But coaching, I think coaching youth really taught me a lot. And it helped me become a much better coach. And I think sometimes when individuals are, they think you're only a coach if you're coaching varsity sports, for example. And I think that is, you know, really probably one of the misleading information or leading things out there is I think when you get out of your box, we tell kids to get out of their comfort zone in order to grow. I think coaches going and coaching at different levels helps you become a much better coach. And also coaching different sports has helped me really grow. For example, I've had the opportunity to coach some baseball. I've run youth weight programs. I've run youth speed, you know, programs, high school programs, coached uh, middle school basketball back in the day, youth football, high school football, you know, freshman, JV, varsity. So all these different experiences, got to be a a freshman varsity coach and help out in varsity at one time in in that capacity. So, So many of those experiences, I think, shape who you are. And I think that's so important for coaches to understand. I think sometimes, you know, coaches are looking at somebody and they say, wow, you know, we got enough people at this level. We're going to throw you down at uh, freshman level. 
or you know we need help with our youth and i think so many times people look at that as is almost kind of a demotion i think you know as far as programs go your youth programs have a bigger impact on Huge. kids because yeah. you want to make sure they're not only learning the fundamentals but they're having fun and they continue to stick with it as we know individuals are going to change from year to year we see that in the weight room the difference that they you know the their body changes in one year and so if those individuals don't go out the next year you know that uh really hurts that individual and and obviously hurts the team if it's a team sport so getting out of your comfort zone getting those type of things i think really makes a big difference the problem we're seeing is the demand your time as a coach at all levels has just been multiplied big time. And, you know, now you're looking at family time away and we're just not seeing it, Brian, as much that coaches are getting burnt out. And we saw this right. with the pandemic, how much harder that was, you know, and you're around and you have a family yourself. You, For example, you, you have three boys and you understand that when you start doing multiple sports and and you don't want to be a father at home and and be a good husband, that all of a sudden it's jack of all trades, master of none. And right. I think that has got a big part of it. The demands of coaches, even as an assistant, have has really gotten out of control for especially for those people that really want to become the best coach that they can be or the best program that they can be, Brian. Well, I think too, Dean, you know, a benefit to being a multi-sport coach is, and again, like, let's not like, you know, you're going to have your sport that is your sport. You know, you, you may be a head coach, you know, for, for women's volleyball, you may be a head softball coach or baseball by, you know, whether it's being an assistant or being on the staff of a different sport or different multiple sports, you may be able to identify some kids that, Hey, you know, you don't do a spring sport. You do really well in this sport. You know, you, you know, this would be a great opportunity. I think, you know, I think that goes, you, you kind of miss that a little bit, you know, because of the specialization that's been going on in high school sports and, and things like that. I think you have a great opportunity to, to create relationships, you know? So if you're the head football coach and maybe you help out with track, you can create a relationship with athletes that may be different than when you're leading the sport as a football coach. Uh, and I think that really goes overlooked because again, coaching is relationships and yeah. building relationships with the athletes. And so <clears throat> a lot of times, and in today's day and age, the kids want to see their coaches as people. They they don't want to see them as a dictator, as, as someone that's just telling them what to do. They want to see them. And so building that relationships, I think is something that's a huge advantage with multi-sport coaches. So again, if you're doing that, we appreciate it. And I think Brian, one thing I got into track and field because one, first I was a football coach and it was an opportunity for us to get a lot of football kids out for another sport to get them to compete instead of just going in the weight room and doing nothing. It was an opportunity for them to learn from other coaches, be more in an individual sport, and be able to control their own destiny. And there's nothing better than competition. And as a coach, it really opened my eyes up because I think sometimes, for example, when I compare football, football can be very, very stressful. 
and it's all of a sudden every second of a practice plan, every minute of a practice plan, you want to have accounted for. And it's a lot more difficult to build those relationships where when you go into a sport like track, now, for example, when I coach the throws, I get to know the athletes a lot better because there's a lot more downtime. Right. And yes, it's a team sport, but it's more individual. And it really taught me uh, to have that combination of that great relationship and that connection with the kids. And it definitely made a difference. One sport helped them become better in the other sport. And right. it didn't matter if it was a football player was helping them become a better track athlete or the track athlete was helping them become a better football player from an athlete standpoint. Sure. From a coaching standpoint, it made me a better coach because I saw the differences in the sports and got to understand why this sport here, for example, why does throwing in sport and track and field help you become a better football player? So you can tell them the why behind everything, the how in all of that in a, in a much slower pace and in a more, more calmer setting. And there's a lot of downtime in those. So it really makes a great big difference to help the athlete and the coaches. And I hope we still have coaches that can balance that with their family and right. be able to be involved in more than one sport. Cause it's definitely a huge benefit. And grateful to the families. You know what I mean? Yes. Whether whether your spouse, your kids, you know, um, a lot of times as coaches, we're giving a lot to other people's kids. Um, and sometimes our kids, you know, maybe miss out on, on dad or mom being home right after school if you're a teacher or even, you know, things that I do. So kudos to the families of those coaches, you know, that are that are doing multiple sports. Um, but, you know, we, we appreciate everybody that's out there giving of their time um, to help young people out. Question two, Dino, and this is a great one because, you know, schools don't all have, you know, these huge resources and budgets. And so we got this question from, you know, a coach that heard me speak at the WFCA coaches clinic last year. Uh, very, very excited, by the way, to speak at the track clinic here coming up early February. I'll uh, be there. On, on the conjugate method. I know front row, you know, more free information for you. Can't wait to give it to you. Uh, I'm going to absorb speech, like right? you probably you probably heard the speech three or four times already so you could probably give it. I um, always learn something new every time I listen to you and oh, hear I appreciate you speak, it. Brian. I appreciate it. Uh I'm a strength coach who's just starting out at a at a smaller high school. Uh I have a small yearly budget, want to get started on the conjugate method. Good choice. Uh what are some must-haves? And so, you know, from our my vantage point Dean, you know, when I set up our gyms, you know, obviously we have the, the the racks and the different things like that. But in order to run the conjugate method or conjugate system, to me, starting on a small budget, and this could be something between $2,000 to $3,000 a year on your budget. To me, the must-haves to run a good conjugate method, you need a couple reverse hypers, okay, and you need some bands, all right? Um, the bands, you're going to be constantly resupplying yourself, things like that. Uh, and the reverse hyper, you can find really good reverse hypers for uh, economical costs that that last, that are really good. Um, you don't need fancy bells and whistles to start in the conjugate method because as we're going to find out with you know some of our guests that we'll have in the future, the conjugate method still, you have to teach. You have to explain, you have to learn, stuff like that. So um, to me, 
The bands are essential because you can do different band attachments. You can have them, you know, pulling in different directions, 45 degree angles, 90 degree angles, uh, pulling forward on different things. You don't need all the fancy bars to start out. Um, as your program grows, that's something you can add. Uh, and then the reverse hypers. And then the other thing that just popped into my head is, you know, if you can find, you know, six to 10 of those 12 inch boxes yes. um, to get they're cheap, they're, you know, typically 50 to 60 bucks. Um, you know, those are great add-ons for box squatting because you can always stack plates and other things like that. But that's what I would add. Dino, what about you? you you've had to go through this, right? So maybe your personal experience. Yeah, Brian, you're you're spot on. You know, I just sometimes I think some people that, you know, if you're at a high school that has more kids involved, yeah. you know, with more facilities, obviously I just think you have to start here and there. And, you know, every year you just got to add one, the, the, the next one. But like you said, you, in my opinion, you got to have reverse hypers. Even if you start out with one, yep. you, know, you can rotate those in and just, and just keep building. I know when we started, it was it was two reverse hypers, and the next year we bought two more, and now we currently have five of them. And then we went right. with the glued hams. Yep. And, and that situation, it was the same thing. We started with one or two, and then we just kept adding them. But same thing with the inverse curls. You know, we started with one or two, now we end up getting five. So we currently have like fifteen, five of each of those. And obviously, if you don't have big numbers, you don't need as many. Right. Bands are a must. That's a game changer. And you want to make sure that when you're doing those bands for the dynamic days, you know, keep those newer bands, you know, in, right. in one pile and your other ones for pull aparts and face pulls and things that you're going to use on a daily basis, maybe in your racks. But so just so those new bands pretty much have the same kind of resistance. So anytime right. you're doing barbell work and you, and you have to balance that bar Obviously, you want that resistance to be pretty similar on each side. Right. But um, normal bars are going to work fine. I would agree with you with the boxes. All we did is, hey, we got with our woodworking department, Brian, and, oh, nice. and we just made them. Actually, oh, kids great. at school made them. That's so awesome. there, there's ways you Resources. can it through your school, whether it's uh, Home Depot, Lowe's. You know, there's always somebody on your coaching staff that – is is a better builder than I am because I'm no Bob Vila and you just get together and we just um, got a bunch of coaches and somebody had some equipment and we all just sat and and put a bunch of boxes together one Saturday morning and we made it work again if it's important enough to your school your program you'll find a way to get it done when I think too you know one thing that probably goes unnoticed is try and find ways to fundraise Yes. You know what I mean? Find ways to fundraise. And one of the things that we do with our schools that we consult for or we're with, uh, that we work with, we help them fundraise. You know, we have some resources that, you know, whether you're doing a, a you know, an event at a local restaurant, a silent auction, you know, however you do it, um, it takes a little, it takes some legwork, you know, as a, you know, as you're starting out and same like if you're a new coach in a program. You know, dollars and cents, you know, help out and anything you can do to do that. And so, you know, I would say those of you and we've talked to about 10 to 15 different schools about consulting now over the course of the next few years, um, we help with that. Yep. You, you know, we're going to help you with that, because at the end of the day, we understand that some schools may be a little bit more strapped than others. And that's understandable. But you also have to understand that there are other people in your community that want to help. You know what I mean? And then they have some resources that want to help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. 
It's like anything in coaching. Um, if you're looking for a program design, if you're looking for methodology, stuff like that, you should always ask for help. Um, none of us have ever figured this all out on our own, whether it's fundraising, whether it's, you know, budgets, whether it's methodologies. Um, but I would go back to, like I said, the bands are essential. Everybody, you know, I think everybody wants bands and chains. Um, you can do a lot more with the bands than you can with the chains. So again, you're looking at your usage amount and, and things like that. So those are some of the must-haves, I think, to run a great conjugate method. And, and you know, when we talked with Lucas, you know, that was that was spot on with what he said. Get some bars, get some bands, get some reverse hypers. And Brian, you know, where do you get your changes for the listeners out there? Where do you get your chains? Uh, we get them from Dynamic. We get all right. of our, like our chains from Dynamic. Yep. Uh, Dynamic Fitness, they do all of our equipment, things like that. So um, that's where we get our chains. But again, you know, and, and you know, I they're very reasonable, you know, for if you're on a budget. So I would say that. Uh, but if it's something you have a hardware store, go to a hardware store. You know what I mean? You can, you can weigh them out. You can have them cut, stuff like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it um, with that. Um, question three, Dean. All right, moving right along. And this is a really, this is really a good question. It's actually a, a positive question. So things are going well um, with this guy's, with this guy's culture. And it says, we're developing a strong culture and have kids coming 20, 15 to 20 minutes early to the weight room right now. First off, that's awesome. Yes. Okay, great job on the athletes of prioritizing being on time, Lombardi time and being yep. on time. But we don't want them wasting time and we don't want them to be, but and don't want them not showing up early. Right. So what are some of the things we can have them do before our sessions to make sure they're still productive? Um, well, first off, right. I mean, that's a great question. Um, kudos to all the athletes being early. You should always be early. There's no excuse for being right on time or being late, especially if you have a car and you're able to drive. Um, so you should prioritize that as an athlete. All right. It is cool to be early. Okay. That that's coaches see that and they recognize it. Um, it's a little thing and they view it as you prioritize being here and doing that. Uh, from our vantage point, Dean, you know, the foam roller is always good. Um, working on mobility. Uh, we do assessments with our kids. So some of our kids may have ankle mobility issues. They may have hip mobility issues. So we're communicating with those individual kids. Hey, here's three or four things you can do before we start our dynamic warm-up or RPR or whatever we're doing, um, where you can start addressing those areas of weakness. Um, what about you? What do you, what do you think? I mean, you guys, I mean, your culture is ridiculous. I know you've talked about, you'll come in and at five fifteen in the morning, you have 40 kids sitting in a hallway. Yeah. You know, first of all, that's awesome when kids come in early, cause you know, that's important <laughs> enough to, them. you know, they're, they're prepared and if they're prepared, good things are going to happen and, and they're going to occur. But I think, you know, a lot of that just getting together is, is individual to the person. You know, a lot of times kids will just want to come in there and, you know, they're going to go there and they're going to want to just be there socially and really get to know their teammates. I think there's something to that. Right. You know, you, you talk about a, a connected team, you have to build relationships. And I think a lot of that time when you're not there as a coach and it's their time, you know, they're making those connections, which I think are very important, especially if you're in a team sport. So we always tell our athletes, hey, do something that what you need to do to be prepared. Right. And maybe it's working on a weakness. Maybe 
you know, you're plenty strong, but you lack some hip mobility. So there's an opportunity for you to grab a purple band and do some extra hip mobility. Or maybe you're coming off of weak ankles because you sprained one about a month ago and that ankle's still not 100%. Hey, you got that purple band and you're going and you're working ankle mobility and you're strengthening all those tendons and ligaments in your ankle. Maybe it's RPR. You know, you, you get there a little earlier. Hey, you just feel like your body's off a little bit. And, and you're going to do a little extra RPR to make sure your fire, your body's firing in a correct pattern. So those are opportunities. You mentioned a foam roller. We have foam rollers out there. Kids can go ahead and foam roll. Hey, what's a little tighter? You know, the hamstrings are a little more sore. Lacrosse balls are another great way, you know, to go ahead and roll out. Um, those are awesome opportunities. Get over there by the, the wall and do some leg swings. Yep. And open that up. If you're... No, it's going to be more of an upper body dominant emphasis that day in your workout. You're doing a lot of thoracic mobility and working on shoulders. You know, right now we have people are getting ready in less than two months now track starts and then baseball is going to be starting in the spring sports. So we know if you're a baseball player, you know, pars fracture is one of the number one injuries that is going to occur. So, you know, now you're swinging a baseball bat hundreds of times a day and you don't want to be injured because your best ability is your availability. Hey, Heard you got to work on that hip mobility. You got to work on that thoracic mobility. Right. And so you can stay injury free. So, you know, what are they, you doing with that time? I think it's very important and it's got to be your time and you have to own that choice. You know, a nice thing about, you know, when we design workouts and I know Brian, you guys put everybody through a workout the athlete's going to get what they put into the workout and it's their choice to utilize that time to their advantage or it's their choice to just waste that time. Sure. And we always tell kids, hey, if you're going to be here, the competitive advantage is use your time wisely. Make the choices that are going to give you a competitive advantage. Well, Dean, I think, you know, one of the things you talked about, um, you know, it's just the socialization, right? The kids just want to be around their teammates. Yes. And I think that that's, that's good, right? Um, because you want that camaraderie. And we get it at Sports Advantage, too. You know, we have the kids. And a lot of times our kids are training in the similar groups, so they develop relationships, stuff like that. I think the key thing is knowing when to flip the switch, though, right? Because you get that, agree. all of a sudden, now you're talking about something that happened. You know, if you like for us, if we have a 4 o'clock session, you have – two or three kids that were in, you know, a math class together and they're talking about something that happened. And then they start talking about volleyball practice or, or track practice. And all of a sudden, you know, it's time to start. And there's, you know, it's a lot louder when that dynamic warmup starts. I think, you know, having great communication with the athletes, Hey, you know, we want you here. This is a time for you to, you know, build relationships, stuff like that. But when it's time to work, it's time to work. You know, so I think having that fine line and making sure your athletes know that, you know, and our athletes understand that, you know, hey, you know, when you step between the lines, it's time to work uh, and things like that. So three really good questions, Dean, obviously, but I've got a fourth one for you. I didn't, again, here we go. This is so this is this is coming for me. I was I was driving in today um, and, you know, obviously, you know, first off, good, good news for DeMar Hamlin. Right. I mean, great yeah. Great news. Um, you know, he seems like he's progressing and stuff like that. Kudos to so many people on that. But 
what that has done in the NFL now, it's kind of left with a unique scenario. And so the NFL now is talking about having the AFC championship game at a neutral site. You put your commissioner Goodell hat on now, dog. Where are you picking to have that game played? It can be anywhere in the United States. You pick where you want it to go. What do you think? Wow. I know I got you right on the spot. You got you uh, on. <laughs> I know Indianapolis. It's not going to be there. I heard right. No, they got a big volleyball tournament, and they that they uh, kudos to Indianapolis. Right, they're giving a lot of youth athletes and high school athletes a chance to play. You know that great. You know you have it scheduled. Good for you. What do you think, Don? What do you got? You know that, that, that's a great. I think you got to have it somewhere in a warmer climate. Is just that's what they do for the Super Bowl. Otherwise, we'd have the Super Bowl at Lambeau Field, which so I even still if, think they should do. So now you're talking about though you're talking about probably the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Ravens, and and who else? The the Bills, but they're all cold weather teams. They are. They are. Um, but I, you know, I would just, geez, I would, I would like to say, you know, you bring it somewhere where it's nice and warm, but yeah. um, I, I would like to, you know, I, I always liked Dallas. Yeah. I, I just love the stadium, but there's just yeah. something about that. With the, the what if the Cowboys are playing? What's what if that? the Cowboys, what if the Cowboys are still there? So now you got like, now you got like the NCAA final four. Now you got, you know what I mean? You could do something like that. Yes, uh, it's, it's a great, you know, I, I got it. like Cowboys. I like Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Sure. You know, that that's another one I really like. I just think they're great atmospheres, kind of on the bucket list to, to go to one of those games. You know, I like Vegas. SoFi. Maybe SoFi, Vegas. And I like Vegas. Yeah. So you talk about the four, that would probably be the four that I would like to see, you know, regardless of what the vision or whatever. But I really like those four venues probably the best. Here's what I would like to see. Put it in a college stadium. Ooh. Put it at like, you know, I mean, when I was driving in, they talked about Ann Arbor or even the Horseshoe or even Notre Dame, you know, stadiums that are big. Oh. But my choice and for my personal reasons, I think we, again, you talked about a little better climate, right? So this isn't completely sun and sun and fun. Let's put that baby in Neyland Stadium, Tennessee, yeah. right? And let's checkerboard the end zones like they do, but one with the color. Like if the Chiefs are playing, let's checkerboard that baby red and yellow. And if the Bengals, orange and brown, let's checkerboard those end zones. Let's play at 110,000. And then for even little giggles, let's throw Kenny Chesney on the halftime entertainment. Let's let him rock that that place for about a half hour. And man, what a I I would actually I would want to go to that. That'd be awesome. You know what I mean? I would. I would think you would definitely be there, especially <laughs> if Kenny Chesney was there for sure. Uh, you know, with this, this is going to air now. You know, Mr. Goodell, you got to listen in on this. Now, this is a great idea. We're we got we're idea people, dog. We you are. I mean? we but are. I think, you know, um, all kidding aside, kudos to the NFL for how they how they handle this situation. Um, you know, I think the the sport of football is definitely one of the most physical sports, and. Um, you know, I think they, they've, they've done it. There's no playbook for scenarios like this. And I think they've done a great job of taking information and doing the best they can, you know, for, for this. And at the end of the day, it, it really matters. It sounds like the young man's health is getting better day by day. Um, and so, yeah. So. And Brian, I would just like to say a huge shout out to medical staffs, athletic training oh, staffs, yeah. 
I know we're talking the NFL right now, but, you know, I've seen such a difference at the high school level being involved now 28 years. We've had some incredible trainers out there. And I know we have some trainers, for example, Stacy Lindgren, who was at yeah. Kimberly. Now she's at Nina, who we both know, Brian. She is an avid listener to our podcast. She's always sending me, you know, us questions. And, you know, hey, that, that was an unbelievable episode. And my daughter got a lot out of that and et cetera. So, you know, I want to thank all those athletic trainers out there for everything that they do. And, you know, they're always there for the athletes and situations. And not only, or you know, that could be something life-threatening, but just every day, not anything, yeah. only just the physical part about, but just the mental part of it. I think trainers, you know, are there to listen to athletes in, in some of the things that they're dealing with that a lot of times coaches are too busy during their season to be able to have a lot of those conversations. And so who are those people that athletes, you know, kind of listen to, reach out to, and really have lots of conversations with? I think it's a lot of time it's a training staff, especially yeah. if they're rehabbing an injury or they're getting their ankles taped up or whatever. So huge kudos to everybody out there. You know, it takes so many people to make successful to have a successful experience for athletes. And um, and that's why we love doing what we do, Brian, because it's so fun to watch girls and boys compete in all the different sports. And the different sports helps them after they're done with their playing careers and helps them um, shape them to be the best moms and, and dads and, and, and citizens out there is just so rewarding for us. And that's why totally one great. of the reasons why we do what we do with the podcast, Brian, just to try to get out as much great information as we can. Totally agree. Um, it's just a, it's, it's a special way of life, you know, to be a coach, to be a trainer, just to impact young athletes and, and things like that. We're very lucky to do what we do on a daily basis and uh, very lucky to, to have, you know, met and been around so many incredible people. So that's going to end this episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. Uh, next week, we got a great guest, Mark Deppen, uh, conjugate guy, um, just just a lot of passion for strength and conditioning. So those of you that listen, uh, if you want some great conjugate information, a guy that's got a lot of passion, you're going to want to tune in next week. Brian, give us a little Kenny Chesney send off here. Can you do that just in case somebody doesn't follow you on Instagram? Can you give us yeah. a little Kenny Chesney send off? Cool. It's like we do. We do. Chop it. <laughs>